0: can find in the book of Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, Deuteronomy 8, and we will read the entire 8th chapter. Let's hear the Word of God. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live, and multiply, and go in, and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments, and his judgments, and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest When thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses, and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water? Who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint? Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end? And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. And it shall be if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods, and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish, because you would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy. Precious and infallible word. We're gathered here to give thanks. It's interesting that our word, our verb to thank, is very closely related to the idea of thinking. As a matter of fact, congregation, we cannot properly give thanks unless we first think upon all the mercies that God has bestowed upon us. And it goes without saying that that ought to be our practice every single day. In that sense, every single day of our lives ought to be a thanksgiving day. At the end of every day... We ought to reflect on the mercies that God has showered upon us once again. And yet, we are all so guilty of becoming so wrapped up in our lives that the days just rush by. And that's why it is very profitable for us to do have a day like this, to really stop and consider and to think to think consciously upon all the favors and all the mercies that God has been pleased to shower upon us. And the more we think about it, the more we discipline our own minds today to think about the mercies of God, the more we think about them, the more thankful we will become. And so this is a profitable day indeed in which we are called to Remember all that God has done for us also in the season that has transpired. We will do so by way of our text, which you can find in the chapter we read to you, Deuteronomy 8, the second verse. And there we read God's word in our text. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee, prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And so here we have a call to remembrance, Moses calling his people to remember. First of all, to remember that the Lord has led us. In other words, that means the very fact that we're here today today is because God has been pleased to lead us until this very hour. Regardless of what our circumstances, our unique circumstances may be, we all have in common that we are here at this moment because God has been pleased to lead us until this moment. So first of all, to remember that He has led us. Secondly, to remember where the Lord has led us. Notice it says here, Moses says here to the people of Israel, the Lord thy God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. The wilderness. And we hope to unpack uh, briefly for you what that means. And the reason that's so remarkable is because God led them in an environment that was utterly hostile to their existence. And thirdly, to remember why the Lord has led us. That's very instructive. He has led us these 40 years. He has led us this past year to humble us, to prove us, and to know what was in thine or in our heart. So to to remember, first of all, that the Lord has led us. Secondly, where he has led us. And thirdly, why he has led us. And so when Moses is speaking here, he is speaking to a nation that stands on the threshold of entering the land of Canaan. They have come this far after a 40-year journey through the wilderness. A journey in which they had experienced so many things. A journey that in many ways would not have made any sense to us. If you would actually look at a map and you would draw a line to all the places where they have been, it would almost remind you of a little child scribbling on a piece of paper. And yet, it was the way in which God led them. And why did God lead them in this way? Why is the God who so dramatically delivered His people from the bondage of Egypt, who so dramatically led them through the Red Sea, Why? Why did God sovereignly purpose that there would be 40 years from that moment until they would enter the land of Canaan? Many years ago, I heard a beloved brother in the ministry, Reverend Maurice Roberts, make a statement I've never forgotten. He said this, It took a few days for God to lead Israel out of Egypt. It took him forty years to get Egypt out of Israel. In other words, though that 40-year journey is symbolic of the life of sanctification. And so the the people who had been redeemed by God miraculously, who had been redeemed by them, were yet in many, many ways like the very people from which they came. These people had never known anything else but the land of Egypt. That became very evident in their conduct, in their behavior, how often they misbehaved. And so it took God 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And that's the story of every believer. That's the life of sanctification, a life in which we have to die to our old self, a life in which we must be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So at the end of this 40-year journey, as they now stand ready to enter the land of Canaan, they would cross the Jordan about 70 days after this particular occurrence. Moses feels called upon, led by the Holy Spirit, to thoroughly review the entire body of revealed truth that God had given to the people of Israel. After all, there were many who stood there who had not experienced the amazing uh, redemptive moment when they were delivered from the bondage in Egypt. And Moses was very concerned that this generation would not fully grasp what God had done for them. He was very concerned that they would forget the mighty deeds of God. And therefore now he calls them to Remember. Remember. All the way which the Lord thy God has led thee. A congregation, as I begin, and I will say this again, how necessary it is for us to be thus exhorted. We are so inclined to forget the Lord and all his benefits. We're very good at remembering our afflictions and our trials. But to remember all his benefits, to be mindful of all the benefits he has showered upon us. In Psalm 106, verse 7, we read, Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies. And in Psalm 103, which we just sang together, David exhorts himself when he says, Forget not all thy benefits. And so may God so bless us today as this day and this service compels us to stop and consider and to remember, to reflect upon this year and this season that has gone by and to consider all that God has done for us to store up in us a lively impression of the astounding mercy of God bestowed upon us and our children. To realize that everything we have, everything we have received is but mercy alone. And mercy, of course, even our children would know that when we talk about the mercy of God. When we talk about the grace of God, often we say that means God bestows upon us what we do not deserve. I want to go further than that. It's not only that we do not deserve it. As sinners, we forfeit the goodness of God as we forfeit the favor of God every day. I want to go a step further. Ultimately, when God is gracious to us, when God is merciful to us, He bestows upon us the exact opposite of what we deserve. And we see, of course, that the grace and mercy of God are all connected to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it that God can bestow upon us and our children the exact opposite of what we deserve? It's because on Calvary's cross, God caused His Son to experience the exact opposite of what He deserved. He who was without sin, He who knew no guile, He who was holy, harmless, undefiled, yet He was made sin, who knew no sin, in order that in and through Him, God can be gracious to sinners like us. And that means that all the mercies that we have experienced in the year that has transpired cannot be divorced from the cross, can only be understood in light of the cross. God has been gracious to us. God has been gracious to you for Christ's sake and for Christ's sake alone. And that's where we need to end. So it's beautiful here that Moses says, Remember all the way which the Lord thy God has led thee. We see that beautiful and precious name of God in capital letters. Boys and girls, you probably have learned from your teachers that when you see that name in capital letters in the Bible, it's always a translation of that wonderful Old Testament name of God, the name Yahweh. That's the special name by which he revealed himself to Israel. That name Yahweh, which means I am that I am. That name Yahweh, which unveils to us the glorious character of God. That name in which God opens his heart to sinners. That name which is inseparably connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was Jehovah in the flesh, Yahweh in the flesh. So when we see that name in the Old Testament, we always need to pause and consider. Because that name, Yahweh, is God's gospel name. It embodies everything the gospel has revealed. And all of that comes to full revelation in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice how Moses addresses the people. He says here, the Lord thy God... Emphasizing that special personal relationship between Yahweh and the people of Israel. A congregation, that's a very, a very simple statement. But there is no greater privilege for a sinner to be able to say that that God, Yahweh, that that God is also my God. So I want to ask you this morning as you are gathered here, are you able to say that by the grace of God, that this God, for Christ's sake, is your God? For that's the very essence of all true religion. God is a God who has eternally purposed to bring sinners into a personal relationship with himself. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 146, happy, happy is he that has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And my dear friend, if by the grace of God you can say today, in spite of who I am and remain in myself, in spite of who I have been in this past year, by the grace of God I may say today, that this God is also my God for Christ's sake. And I would like to emphasize congregation, and I don't think I have to emphasize it. To be able to say that, that this God is your God, is the blessing of all blessings. That's it. That's why Martin Luther famously said, the essence of true religion all boils down to personal pronouns. To be able to say, this God is my God, for Christ's sake. To be able to say, I am united to this God. I am reconciled to this God. But it also testifies of Yahweh's astonishing faithfulness to this nation, to this people. Because then these 40 years in which you led them, And the the number 40 in Scripture is the number of testing. These 40 years are an unbroken record of God's astonishing faithfulness to this people. Never once did he betray that relationship. Never once did he do anything that would contradict the statement that, uh, that Moses makes here. But you know very well that over against the astonishing record of God's faithfulness, of his covenant loyalty, over against that was the the tragic record of Israel's unfaithfulness. And so Moses, no doubt, wants them to remember that as well. He wants them to be humbled at this moment that they have arrived at this point in their history, in spite of their wretched track record, in spite of who they have been, in spite of all their murmuring, all their complaining, all their rebelling, all their misbehavior of which they were guilty during those 40 years, in spite of it all, there they stood ready to enter the land of Canaan. Oh, what a faithful God he had been. Oh, remember all the way which the Lord has led thee these 40 years. A congregation, that's what we need to do as well. The word remember, the English word remember, is actually a very interesting word. What it actually means is that you literally put all the pieces together of a body. You, You put together all the members, put all the pieces together... And when you put all the pieces together, when you consider all the blessings God has bestowed upon you, all the mercies, how could we not be humbled and brokenhearted at a time like this? So when we look upon the year that has has transpired, tell me, my dear friends, has there been a single day this past year that your needs have not been met. Deuteronomy 2, verse 7, in the beginning of this book, we read this. For the Lord thy God has blessed thee in all the works of thy hand. These 40 years, the Lord thy God has been with thee. Thou hast lacked nothing. Is that not true for us? We have lacked nothing. More than that, we have have grown accustomed to such an extraordinary level of prosperity that we fail to realize how amazing it is that from day to day God provides for us, that from day to day He preserves us. That's why I think we have much more difficulty today giving thanks than previous generations. Previous generations, even the generations of our forefathers, who often did not know how they would make it from one day to the next, who in a very real way experienced God's fatherly care, how he provided for them. We need to realize that in the history of this world... People have never lived like we do. People have never enjoyed this level of prosperity, outward prosperity. And sometimes we mistakenly called it a blessing. I fear, I fear that for many in our nation, that prosperity will prove to be a curse. A prosperity that has corrupted us in so many ways. In the midst of all that overwhelming prosperity that we so take for granted day for day, we need to stop and think, we need to stop and consider how amazing God's provision is to consider that amazing work of God's providence. A couple years ago, because of the COVID crisis, all of a sudden we... We got nervous because our our whole supply chain was kind of out of whack. And suddenly there were empty shelves, something we were not accustomed to at all. And then we realized for a moment, at that moment we realized that if all those wheels of providence, if they are not constantly turning day after day, day and night, what we take for granted, the breakfast that's on our plate in the morning, Is there because of the amazing work of God's providence. Everything on your plate has arrived there because of that enormous, incomprehensible process that goes on day and night. So we need to remember. We need to reflect. We need to think how amazing it is that we lacked nothing in this past year And of course, Moses reminds the people of there. Look at verse 9. When he talks to them about the land that they are now about to enter. A land of, of extraordinary prosperity, unlike they had, had never known before. He says, and to think about our nation. Verse 9, he says, A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, and thou shalt not lack anything in it. That's all you and I have ever known. Look at verse 12. Talks about having built goodly houses. Our privilege. We have dwelt in our goodly houses. When thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold be multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied. we not say that? In spite of all that's happening in our country, all the concerns there are about what's happening to the economy, all the other concerns there are, must we not say today that God has graciously seen to it that our herds and flocks have multiplied, our silver and gold has multiplied? We have no idea. How extraordinary this prosperity is that we, our generation, has known. I think of previous generations. Some of you know this. When I think of my grandfather, my German grandfather, by the time he was 50 years old, he had lived through World War I, he had lived through the Spanish flu, he had lived through the Great Depression, and he had lived through World War II by the time he was 50. Then I think... I look at my lifetime, then what what have we experienced? What have been our trials? that's That's why it is so important for us to stop and think today, to think about all that we take for granted, all of this prosperity. And then worst of all, whether we do it actually verbally or whether we think it, that we secretly take credit for God's mercy. Look at verse 17. It says, And thou shalt say in thine heart, maybe not out loud, but thou shalt say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand has gotten me this wealth. So that secretly we credit our own intelligence, our own business skills, our own creativity with all the prosperity we have. My friend, if God has prospered you in your business, it is God who has given you those opportunities. He's given you the intelligence. He's given you the wisdom. He's given you all of the opportunities in His providence for you to prosper in your business. You owe all of it to Him. Oh, God forbid that we would say in our heart, my power and the might of my hand, Has gotten me this wealth. But most importantly, and this is such an essential component of a true Thanksgiving Day, we have to realize that God has never dealt with us after our sins. Psalm 103, verse 8: The Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. I would venture to say that we cannot have a proper thanksgiving day unless we view all that we have, all that God has granted to us, all the ways in which he has provided for our needs, unless we view that against the background of who we are and remain in ourselves against the background of our sinnership. Because who of us would dare to say otherwise? Who of us would dare to say otherwise than the psalmist says? He, this gracious God, this Yahweh, He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. And that's why our proper disposition should be the disposition of David in Psalm 116, What shall I render? Unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me. All his benefits towards me. Jacob humbly acknowledged when he came back to the land of Israel, he came back as a wealthy man. He said, I'm not worthy of the least of these mercies. Congregation, that is a, a passage of Scripture we quote so easily, but do you believe it? Do you believe today that you are not worthy of the very least of all of God's mercies? That there is absolutely nothing in your life for which you can take any credit? Not worthy of the least. But so it ought to be. Because when that becomes real, experientially real, when that really sinks in, in light of our sinnership, but it sinks in, how good God has been to us in spite of who we have been. Then only then will we have the proper disposition to give thanks to this God from whom all blessings flow. But not only where, not only that He has led us, where He has led us, and I have to be brief here, in the wilderness. Congregation. That's what makes that history so special. You talk about a hostile environment. They, for 40 years, they dwelled in an utterly hostile environment where everything conspired against the existence of that nation. Look at verse 15 and 16. It says, Who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought?" where there was no water, who brought thee forth water put out out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not. Surrounded. They were in a a desert, surrounded by, by mortal enemies, by dangerous creatures. We knew, of course, when the great judgment of all the fiery serpents struck them. I can assure you, That was not their first encounter with fiery serpents. But God miraculously not only gave them bread from heaven, but he gave them water. Think about that. A a nation of two and a half million people and all the animals that they had, they were sustained for 40 years in a place where there was no water and there was nothing to eat. God provided for them in a hostile environment and that brings me to a spiritual application because not only must we think of our temporal blessings we must think of our spiritual blessings because God's people have that in common with the people of Israel here we too live in a world that is completely hostile to biblical christianity and i don't have to be labor to point That's becoming increasingly evident in our very own nation where that would have been unthinkable several decades ago. We now are witnessing a manifestation of hostility unlike we've seen before. This world of ours is hostile to Christ, hostile to his people, hostile to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that hostile environment God has preserved us. God has kept us. God has preserved you as a congregation. And so in this past year you were privileged to have the ministry of word and sacrament uninterruptedly. God's provision for your spiritual needs. The fact that our children are still able to receive a a Christian education. There are developments in Europe and the Netherlands as well that are alarming. Developments that could mean that that freedom could change or could be taken away. There are voices in the Netherlands, now in a nation where once God's church flourished, who want to seriously curtail Christian education. A world that is hostile, hostile to God's church, hostile to biblical Christianity. What a mercy, what a mercy that week after week we're privileged to come here unhindered to hear the word of God. Think of God's persecuted people throughout the world. Think of the Christians in Nigeria where so many have been brutally slaughtered also this past year. That also applies to us individually because ultimately every Christian deals with the reality that we must function as the people of God in an environment that is always conspiring against it. And if God did not supernaturally sustain us spiritually, sustain our spiritual lives, we would yet perish. Not only is it an ungodly world that surrounds us, and the prince of darkness who conspires with that ungodly world, but it's our own wretched flesh, the traitor within, who conspires with Satan in the world. And if God did not sustain us, if he did not sustain our spiritual lives, we would yet perish. People of Israel, God had to say of his own people that they were bent towards backsliding. And which believer would dare to say that that's not true of you or of me? And to see time and again how Christ not only preserves us in terms of our physical needs, but that he preserves us in terms of our spiritual well-being. Oh, we are so indebted to Him. So indebted to the Lord our God who is leading us through this wilderness, who is preserving us in this wilderness, who is sustaining our spiritual lives in this wilderness. Psalm 136, verse 16, beautifully expresses it. To Him... Which led his people through the wilderness for his mercy endureth forever. and That's why most importantly we are so indebted. So indebted to God for the unspeakable and the inexpressible gift of his only begotten son. It all centers on him. All of God's mercies, all of God's favors, they come to us through His only begotten Son. Had He not come into the world to give Himself as a sacrifice for sin, to be the redeemer of sinners, to be the mediator between God and man, our place would not be here today. Ultimately, all of God's favors, all of God's mercies, are all centered in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're called to remember that the Lord led us. We're called to remember where He has led us, sustaining us, sustaining us also spiritually in this hostile world of ours, and thirdly also, why the Lord has led us. That's very humbling when you read that. It says here, to humble thee, and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart. And so God has an overarching objective in leading his people. When Paul says that in Romans 8, that all things must work together for good to them that are called according to God's purpose... Then he describes what that good is, namely, that we might be conformed to the image of God's Son. A congregation, God will leave no stone unturned in the lives of his children to accomplish that objective. And in order to be conformed increasingly to the image of Christ, which is the overarching goal of the work of sanctification, we have to die to ourselves. Our flesh has to be crucified. And so God will lead us in ways in which he will humble us for our spiritual good, for our spiritual well-being. As a matter of fact, each circumstance. Each unique trial that God's children encounter in this world is designed by your heavenly Father to deal with an area of your flesh that has not yet been crucified. He will lead us in ways in which He exposes it, in which He confronts it with us, in which He humbles us in order that it would, that aspect of our flesh would be crucified, because it is only in proportion to the crucifixion of our flesh that we will increasingly be conformed to the image of Christ. And so when God leads His children, His overarching goal is not our temporal well-being, it's not our temporal prosperity, our temporal ease. God will leave no stones unturned to cause us to die to ourselves and to be conformed to the image of Christ. Perhaps in this past season you've been through difficult times. Perhaps you have had to deal with perplexing providences. Perhaps there have been trials in your life. And we are to give thanks for them as well. For those trials. Because I would say say that all of God's children would echo that none of those trials are ever pleasant for the moment. But it's in those trials that we learn lessons we cannot learn any other way. And all our trials are designed to humble us. Because only then, you see, God will be all and in all. What does it mean to be humbled? To be humbled means that we we take our proper place before God. And when we take our proper place before God, when we see ourselves the way God sees us, then we will be humble indeed. And God will see to it, He will lead us, He will guide us in such ways. That we will be humbled, that we will take our proper place before God. And says so He will prove us, He will test us. James 1, verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. So let me ask you, dear believer, in this past season, what has the trying of your faith accomplished? Has it worked patience? Have you grown spiritually as a result of it? Peter writes of it in first Peter one verse seven, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you what? has this past season revealed about your heart? That's what it says here. To humble thee, to prove thee, and to know what was in thine heart. So all that's happened to you this past year, what has that exposed about your heart and my heart? It's amazing how trials and afflictions will expose who we are, who we really are. So parents, what what do your children see in you? They've watched you for an entire year. They've watched you deal with all of life. They've watched you in all of your ways, and children have amazing ability to really figure out what's going on. What have they seen in your and my life? What's in your heart What really matters in your heart? What has priority in your life? Has that become evident to your children and grandchildren as they have witnessed you this past year? Have they seen something of Christ in you? Have they seen something in your life that, after all, you are living your life as a stranger, as a pilgrim, seeking that better country, that heavenly city of whose uh, whose builder the Lord Jesus Christ is. The Lord Jesus said, "Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be." So I ask you on this Thanksgiving day, where is your treasure? Would others that know you, that interact with you, would they be able to say, "I know where His or Her treasure is"? It's obvious from the way he lives, from the way he conducts himself. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is the abundance of your and my heart? And so we have considered this remarkable passage. And hopefully by the grace of God, I've given you something to think about. And I'm hoping and praying that as you think about what I've tried to communicate to you today by way of this passage, that your thinking will lead to true thanksgiving. That the words of Psalm 115 would not just be an empty phrase, but that we would say, Lord, not unto us, not unto us, O Lord, but to thy name be glory. Now, they're still here today, who in spite of all of God's mercies, in spite of all of God's amazing care, who are still on a pathway that will lead to everlasting perdition. And they're still here today, who have yet refused to bow the knee to King Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are there still here today who are unconverted because of their unbelieving heart, who, in spite of all the words that have come to them, all the messages that have been preached to them, yet refuse to be persuaded and to humble themselves before God. Because then your temporal blessings will ultimately testify against you. My dad was fond of using the example from his garden. He had a vegetable garden that he tended carefully. It struck him one day. He said, all that I'm doing, the watering that I'm doing, the fertilizing, it's all meant for the vegetables, but the weeds are flourishing too. They're all benefiting from what I'm doing for the garden. Except, and I realized, that they only flourish for a season. Ultimately, those weeds were destined for destruction but they benefited nevertheless. And so my unconverted friend, unbeliever in my midst, you have benefited from all the mercies that God showers upon his people. You have benefited as well. And do you not know, Paul says, that the goodness of God must lead you to repentance? I hope that you will think today, think about your life. Think about how good God has been to you. All the favors he has bestowed upon you. That your heart would be humbled and broken and realized what a wretched thing it is not to serve this god to use all of his mercies ultimately for yourself and on yourself oh that you would seek the lord today while it is the accepted time that you will not be able to find rest until by the grace of god you too would be able to say This God, for Christ's sake, is also my God. And so, beloved, let us think and let us give thanks. Amen. Our gracious God and Father, we thank Thee for the privilege we've had to be here today. Use Thy Word to to bring forth in us genuine thanksgiving a thanksgiving that will recognize who thou art in Christ, but also when we view all of thy mercies against that extraordinary reality that thou hast never dealt with us according to our sins. And that day after day thou dost bestow upon us the very opposite of what we deserve. And so bless us this day as we gather with our families, And we pray that in the midst of it all we would not fail to think upon thee and upon all the mercies thou hast bestowed upon us and that so in all humility we may give thee thanks from whom all blessings flow. Keep us safely as we return to our homes and gather with us this coming Lord's Day. We ask it in Jesus' name alone. Amen.